Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. I'm delighted to welcome our audience for today's important event on hatred, recognizing modern anti-Semitism. We have a great program in store, and I'd like to now invite Elon Carr and Joel Griffith to join me on screen as I tell you a bit about them. Elon Carr is the U.S. State Department's special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. He has traveled the world on behalf of the United States to combat this hatred and evil. He has shown world leaders that we must recognize anti-Semitism in all of its forms, including anti-Zionism, denying the right of the Jewish people to live in their ancestral homeland. These efforts have been very fruitful, especially recent breakthroughs with Arab countries. Prior to his appointment, he was a deputy director, uh, deputy district attorney in LA County and an officer in the US Army Reserves. In 2003, he deployed to Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, where he met with remnants of the Jewish community. He was also the international president of the Jewish fraternity Alpha Epsilon Pi. Leading our discussion today will be Joel Griffith. He is a research fellow on financial regulations at the Rowe Institute for Economic Freedom and Opportunity at the Heritage Foundation. He is also the chair of Young Jewish Conservatives. As a lawyer, he works on suing state sponsors of terror on behalf of victims. I'd like to welcome both of you, Elon and Joel, to begin the discussion. Thank you, Emily, and thank you so much, um, Elon, for joining us today. Um, it's been uh, just a pleasure watching all the great work that, that you've done. Um, I, I know that many um, are, are familiar Many are familiar with some of your work, but I wanted to, to first dive into to what has inspired your, your family. Um, I know that uh, you have a family from um, Iraq that were there during the Israeli War for Independence. Could you talk a bit about that history and how that inspires you in your work today? Well, sure. First of all, Joel, so good to be with you. And, um, and it's an honor to be in a heritage program. You know, um, I really think at a time in our country where where values are so important, and uh, and where it's so important that we we get back to fundamentals and remember um, why our country is here and what built the United States. I, I just think that the Heritage Foundation, in its uh, in its in its deep and excellent work, um, uh, provides just such an important uh, service, really, to all of us, but but occupies such an important role in our civic discourse. So I want to thank you, and uh, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be with you. So yeah, my family. You know, a lot of people don't know, but uh, um, the Iraqi Jewish community was the oldest Jewish community in the world outside of, of Israel, the land of Israel. Um, it's uh, 2,500 years since uh, the Babylonian captivity. And, uh, and for many years, Jews thrived in Iraq. And in fact, Baghdad, in the turn of the 1900s, um, was more Jewish than New York by percentage. So it's really quite, quite remarkable. But of course, the Jews were all, this is the story of, of Jews from the Arab world. They were, you know, uh, expelled, arrested. I mean, the, the, the 1900s were, were very difficult, in large part because anti-Semitism was imported into the region. And, uh, and so in 1948, as you said, uh, my grandfather was arrested. My, my mother was a, a young girl. It was a knock at the door. It was early in the morning. She remembers that my grandfather still had shaving cream on his face. And he answered the door and, and soldiers took him away. And uh, they paraded him through the streets in leg irons. And then uh, along with other Jews in the community, as you know, people shouted jeers and so on. And, and then they put him in prison. And my mother, as a young girl, had to do it. No little girl should have to do visit her father in prison. Until after two years, he said, flee, don't wait for me. Um, just leave. And so my grandmother, my mother, who was a young girl, and my uncle, who was a toddler at the time, fled across the border to Iran, a very different Iran uh, from today. The Shah was helping Jews escape and giving Jews asylum. And so my family escaped across the, the, the confluence of the Tigris and Euphrates in southern Iraq, which is the border, 
and uh, from Iran they uh, they emigrated to Israel. And so the really the story here is is the story of the two Middle Easts, right? The the former Iran being philo-Semitic, the current Iran being viciously anti-Semitic, the former Arab world, the Arab world of of, of many years ago being philo-Semitic and allowing Jewish communities to thrive. You know, the, first, the first centers of Jewish learning uh, in the entire Jewish world, you know, the yeshivot were in Iraq and uh, for many, many hundreds of years ago. And so the former philo-Semitism in the Arab world that turned into anti-Semitism in, in the 1900s. And now we're seeing a whole new Middle East. And you mentioned the Abraham Accords in the opening. I mean, remarkable. That uh, now you're seeing now you're seeing Arab states not only sign peace agreements with Israel but really embrace Jews in a remarkable way that takes us back uh, to the to the good old days of of the Arab and Muslim world. So just tremendous transformation and and my family was very much sort of in you know lived in that in that transition. Yeah, it's, it's such a a beautiful story that you have. Then you fast forward. You know, several decades um, to your time here in this country as a college student and becoming involved with AEPI. And just as a personal anecdote, I remember last year at I saw you at APAC, and so many young adults, current college students, recent grads uh, were coming up to you, recognizing you, not just from the work that you're doing at the State Department, but everything that you've done for the younger generation. And uh, before we get into the substance of, of this interview today, um, could you talk just a, a bit about your work um, with API, what you saw on college campuses, um, and what some of those threats are that you see today to Jewish students on college campuses? Well, sure. AEPI is, is the international Jewish fraternity, and and I got involved in college at, at Cal Berkeley, where I went, and and I saw that that API was more than just an incredible opportunity for friendship and growth. It certainly is that. But I really saw that this was a vehicle for for Jewish identity, and for and and for bringing bringing kids together uh, in a context where where they can not only enhance their own sense of self, but really also stand up and fight for what's important. Um, what's important not only to the Jewish people, but really what's important to to America, to civilization. You know, fighting these these radical movements on college campuses that. That attack certainly the Jews in Israel is in their crosshairs, but not only Jews in Israel. You know, values that we would regard as American values are in their crosshairs. And when I saw how potent um, AEPI was in confronting that, I got involved as an alumnus and eventually became the international president. Served for two years, and you know, I, I led 10,000 students on 185 campuses in six countries. And what I saw in my work. As, as the president of AEPI, is that on, on far too many campuses, not, not all of them, but, but a great many, uh, sadly, um, there really is a, 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 an anti-Semitic movement that is, that is um, it, it's quite, can be quite overwhelming. I mean, on, on many campuses, uh, a Jewish student or, or a pro-Israel student, I mean, you can say the same for, for evangelical Christian students, are made to choose between between support for Israel and and their personal safety as students. And so what I what I saw, and, and by the way, now as special envoy, I hear the same thing from Jewish student leaders in France and in the UK uh, during my diplomatic travels. And that is if if you want to be safe as a Jewish student on college campus, um, if you want to go unmolested through your through your campus, you have got to divorce yourself completely from any connection to to the state of Israel, to the land of Israel, to Jewish peoplehood, to the idea of of Jewish national self-determination. And you certainly can't mention, you know, the Z word, Zionism, in any favorable way. Woe to you if you do, because it's not just differing views. We're talking about harassment, discrimination, um, sometimes threats. Um, you, we've seen recent stories. I mean, you, you, we have elected student government elected officials driven out of office, resigning at universities, by the way, that that one would think would be the last on the list for having this sort of thing. And but it really is. It's it's a it's a it's an in, incredibly distressing 
um, campaign of harassment and, and discrimination against Jewish and pro-Israel students. And I would argue also, like I said before, against those values that really define our country. And so this, this, this fight, Joel, on, on campuses is absolutely critical for our future because this is really about, about the future leaders of, of corporate America, civil society, and government, and, and what values they will have. And so what we're seeing on university campuses is really the front lines of the, of the, the cultural battle over America's future and over the future of other countries like the UK and France. And so this is absolutely critical. I was honored to help lead that fight as president of AAPI, and I'm honored to represent the United States of America today in that fight. Yeah, thank you, Anna. So many of us were, were very heartened um, la last year when the current uh, presidential administration um, adopted the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism um, in relation to activities that are occurring on college campuses, recognizing evil when it occurs in order to protect um, those students. But you, in your role as special envoy, you've taken that concept of recognizing evil, recognizing the uh, anti-Semitism inherent within anti-Zionism, and you've taken that to the world stage. And with that in mind, um, could you talk a bit about that definition, talk a bit about um, you know, what the differences are between just <clears throat> criticizing Israel and anti-Zionism, and, and maybe thirdly, talk about the ways um, in which you've been able to successfully encourage even Arab counterparts to at last recognize yeah. um, that anti-Semitism is not just um, genocide as a evil, of course, as that was um, 50 years ago, um, but um, at how it relates today um, within the UN and uh, within diplomatic um, um, circles across the world. Sure. And so you know, first of all, that executive order that President Trump uh, signed and and uh, issued in December was a game changer. And it did two things. It protected Jewish students by applying Title VI civil rights protections, but also, as you said, adopted the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. Now, you know, before I go into the definition, I just want to say when he signed that order, I was at the White House. He looked at the cameras and he said, let me make this very clear. If you are a university, and you are promoting the harassment and discrimination of your students, you are going to lose a lot of money. This is going to be very expensive for you. He looked right at the cameras and said that. And I can tell you, Joel, it's not a single university president or chancellor who didn't hear that loudly and clearly. And so this really was a, a game changing moment. And one more example of how ferocious this administration has been when it comes to combating anti Semitism protecting the Jewish people throughout the world, here at home and, and overseas, and supporting the state of Israel. That was a great moment. So <clears throat> the IRA definition is absolutely critical because, you know, if you want to confront a threat, well, you have to know the threat. You know, in the introduction you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a military officer. You know, any any military officer knows this, but, but really everybody knows this. You, you, you got to know your enemy. You have to know what, what threat you're, you're opposing. And so we have a great vehicle for doing that, and that is the definition of anti-Semitism put forth by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, or IRA, IHRA. And what's powerful about this definition is that it not only, so I, I see it's on the screen, so there's, a, there's sort of a, a very basic definition, but then there are examples. There are a, a list of examples of contemporary manifestations of anti-Semitism. And that's really where the power of this definition is in the examples, because the examples encompass not only traditional anti-Semitism, you know, a, a, a Jews are responsible for every malady in the world, Jews having ominous power, controlling, you know, pulling the strings behind organs of government or banks or the media. So all of that is, is captured by it. But in addition to what you might call traditional, you know, medieval anti-Semitism. By the way, you see a lot of this today with the, with the coronavirus. I mean, you know, when, when the world went online uh, starting last March, I mean, there was a, a tsunami of online anti-Semitism related to COVID, Jews having invented the coronavirus or intentionally spreading it, using it as a tool of global control. This is crazy stuff, but, but that's what anti-Semitism is. I mean, every period in history, anti-Semitism adopted 
the, the narrative of the day, the problems of the day, the milieu of the times, and use that to propagate Jew hatred, and we see it still today. So not only do the examples capture that kind of anti-Semitism, but also, you know, today, uh, speaking of adopting the, the lexicon of the times, today there is a state of Israel. The Jewish people have national self-determination. The nation state of the Jewish people is the state of Israel, and that is the Jewish collectivity. And so in the examples, it says targeting the state of Israel as a Jewish collectivity is an example of anti-Semitism. Uh, equating Israel to Nazi Germany, an example of anti-Semitism. Denying the Jewish people, in fact, it's right here on the screen, denying the Jewish people self-determination by claiming that the existence of a state of Israel is a racist endeavor, an example. And then also critically, applying a double standard, a double standard not exacted of any other democracy in the world, applying that standard to Israel only exclusively, an example of anti-Semitism. And so this is so critically important because it helps us understand the difference between criticism of Israel, which of course is, I mean, any country can be criticized, Israel, the United States, of course. And in fact, the IRA definition says, criticism of the state of Israel is not anti-Semitic. So that's, you know, the, the, the uh, proponents of anti-Semitism will always say, well, it's, this is really to stifle criticism, it's utter nonsense. Criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, but IRA, IRA in its examples helps us draw that distinction between legitimate criticism of Israel, as can be label, le leveled at any country, versus anti-Semitism. And let me say something else that's very important. Just because it's anti-Semitism doesn't mean it's prohibited or censored. Another calumny launched against the IRA definition and its proponents is that somehow this is about stifling speech. This is an absolute fraud. It's not true at all. In fact, IRA is a tool of free speech. It allows for debate about what anti-Semitism is or isn't. And just because something is anti-Semitism doesn't mean it's prohibited. Look, Joel, there was a Supreme Court opinion that the neo-Nazis could march in Skokie, Illinois, right? So that's protected speech. Does it mean it's not anti-Semitism? Does it mean we can't call the neo-Nazis anti-Semitic? Of course it doesn't mean that. So the, the idea that just because something is anti-Semitism we're, and we're labeling it as such, that this stifles free speech is, is ridiculous. You know, just like anti-Semites have free speech, so do we. We have the freedom of speech to call it out for what it is and condemn it for what it is. And the IRA definition is a very powerful tool for doing that. Thanks. Thanks for diving into that. And I think what you just mentioned about free speech is so important. And I know there, uh, when uh, the administration recognized that definition for purposes of civil rights protections of students last year, there were some concerns. Um, that it would be misconstrued. Um, but the fact is we can recognize that students and, and any citizen, they have the right to engage in, in hateful speech, and hateful marches, um, wear uh, uh, even a swastika on their shirt if they so choose. But just because something is legal and constitution doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye to it. It's our duty, I think, as moral creatures to call out that hate when we see it. And um, I think you've done a fine job of recognizing those constitutional protections while at the same time um, calling out all forms of anti-Semitism, including um, anti-Zionism. Um, right, and it's critical that, 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 to champion the First Amendment while at the same time countering um, Jew hatred. And the two are not mutually exclusive. You can absolutely do both. Um, and we've got to do both because really our future depends on us succeeding in doing both. Uh, what, what has provided that the impetus over the last few years uh, to um, to uh, as an, as a nation, as a government, to recognize anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic? You know, this definition, the working definition, has been around for for many years now, and it has uh, achieved bipartisan support. But it wasn't until the last few years that we really saw our own government move forward with that. Um, what provided that uh, that energy to make that progress? Well, I think, I think the Trump administration has been in a league by itself in terms of its willingness to confront all forms of anti-Semitism. You know, when you talk about anti-Semitism from the far right, you know, the, the Nazis, the, the, uh, the, these, these synagogue shooters or, or the vile uh, right-wing ethnic supremacists in these, in these internet chat rooms or these torchlit marches we see in, in parts of Europe, 
Well, it's very easy. Everyone knows these are, are these people on the fringes of society um, who hate really everyone, unlike them, but certainly Jews most of all. Um, it's pretty easy to call them out and identify them. <clears throat> and everyone agrees on that. When it comes to the, the Jew haters on the far left and, and the people who target Zionism in Israel, suddenly people get, people get uncomfortable. There's hand-wringing. I see this. Sometimes I'll sit down with meter, meetings with, with diplomats uh, and, and in, my interlocutors overseas, and they'll say, well, you know, that's complicated. Um, Joel, it isn't complicated. Hatred of the Jewish state is hatred of the Jewish people. It's really not complicated at all. And in fact, when you look at the so-called new anti-Semitism that focuses on Israel, <clears throat> there's nothing new about it. It tracks precisely the very same categories of hatred that traditional anti-Semitism tracked. For example, the blood libel. You know these the ancient calumnies that Jews, you know, murder children. Oh, you've got the blood libel applied to the state of Israel. That it, it you know, it commits genocide, which is of course ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> the same rhetoric. Uh, a great philosopher, Alain Finkelkraut in Europe, was recently called a dirty Zionist. We've heard that term quite a bit, as though substituting the word uh, would confuse us as to what is really meant. So, same blood libel, same rhetoric. Um, economic boycotts, same thing. What is BDS? It's the same old, age-old economic boycott. Don't buy from the Jew. You know, we saw the, those pictures of the brown shirts in front of Jewish shops, you know, Kauf nicht Juden. But really, economic boycotts of Jews go back to the Middle Ages. Uh, so you go down the list, it's the same, the same isolation, the demonization and isolation of the Jew. Same thing applied to Israel. So it is really, it's really remarkable how, how not new <laughs> the new anti-Semitism is, it's the same thing. And so we've got to realize that and we've got to sh shout that from the rooftops. The Trump administration gets it, got it from day one. And they said, <clears throat> as I've said in my work around the world is, you know, when you've got three sources of anti-Semitism, far right, radical left and militant Islamism, you've got to fight all of it because not to fight one part of this disease, and that's what it is. I mean, this is, you know, anti-Semitism is a, is a human sickness. Not to fight one part of it is to do a great disservice to, to, the, the, entire, to the entire project. You know, think of it this way. If you, you know, there are three parts. If you leave one third, um, certainly two thirds, but even one third of a tumor untreated, well, the patient's not going to do well. So we've got three disparate sources of anti-Semitism. If we're serious about fighting Jew hatred, we've got to fight all three. And so the Trump administration and, and my team has been very, very clear that we will leave no part of the ideological spectrum uh, unaddressed. We will fight all of it. We're going to call out, you know, the, <clears throat> the right-wingers. You know, we're the first administration to have designated a far-right white supremacist group as a terrorist organization. President Trump signed into law the Never Again Education Act, ensuring that generations of school children are going to learn about the Holocaust to see where right-wing uh, Jew hatred leads. So we are confronting that, but we're also going to take on the anti-Semitism of the left. And so my boss, Secretary Pompeo, stood before 18,000 activists to the APAC Policy Conference a year and a half ago and said, let me go on the record. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. More recently, he stood at the podium with Prime Minister Netanyahu in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago, and he said, we're making an announcement. BDS, this, this movement to boycott and sanction Israel, BDS is a manifestation of anti-Semitism. And so we've been very clear that, that hatred of the Jewish state is hatred of the Jewish people. Similarly, when it comes to militant Islam, we don't, we don't leave that unaddressed. The chief the chief state sponsor of, of anti-Semitism on earth is the Islamic Republic of Iran. And we call them out on it. We're applying punishing sanctions to Iran. And we're saying we're not going to tolerate this. We're not going to tolerate a country driving militant Islamist anti-Semitism throughout the world. And so we've, we're, we've been very, very clear that we're going to address all of it. And I would say that that is the key to winning this fight. You've got to fight all kinds of Jew hatred, regardless of the ideological clothing it wears.
And I'm really glad that you mentioned uh, BDS. Obviously, this has been a um, scourge that's gaining popularity. And sadly, as you're well aware, there are a number of people even serving in the United States Congress that are BDS supporters, one of them uh, whom serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, can you talk a bit about why we should be concerned from a national security perspective, our own nation's national security, um, about anti-Zionism? Well, yes, I think I think it's embarrassing that <clears throat> to see Americans, especially Americans in in leadership positions, uh, engaging in in rank anti-Semitism. Well, I mean, it's it's embarrassing for our country, frankly, and and uh, it's it's deeply unfortunate. But yes, we need to we need to understand this this kind of anti-Semitism, this manifestation of anti-Semitism that focuses on Israel and Zionism, because it's a big part of the fight against anti-Semitism globally. Now, you know, while anti-Semitism from the right is, you know, certainly dangerous, there have been there have been horrific instances, Pittsburgh, Poway, Halle, Germany, right? These are all the, the mass murderers um, have come from that camp. The danger of anti-Semitism on the left is its, is its uh, mainstreaming. The fact that it, it has come into, into mainstream society, it's, it's set in open, polite, and sometimes impolite company. It's captured political parties. You have a major political party in the UK, thankfully now that it's cleaned house, it's cleaning house, the Labour Party, but, but before it got shellacked in the election, largely because of anti-Semitism, you know, a, a cabal of, of, of you know, left-wing traffickers in anti-Semitism hijacked a major political party in the UK. You know, the Jewish community in the UK, I mean, let, let no one think that left-wing anti-Semitism isn't an issue. The, the Jewish community in the United Kingdom said, in these, in, 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 these are editorials and, and published statements, said that, that, that Jeremy Corbyn, is a threat to the survival of, of the Jewish community in the UK. I mean, they said this, there were editorials in Jewish papers that said, this threatens the future of, of, of Judaism in, in Britain. And it's a staggering statement. And so, and so left-wing anti-Semitism is extremely dangerous as well. It's moved into the mainstream. You know, in the United States today, <laughs> you call yourself an anti-Semite, they'll run you out of town. Call yourself an anti-Zionist, they'll give you tenure. And that's the that's the danger we face, and and the fact that this brand of anti-Semitism lives so openly and notoriously and with such acceptance on university campuses is incredibly dangerous. And the reason why it's so dangerous is because these kids on university campuses are the future of our country, and when they are subject to that kind of uh, indoctrination on the one hand, and then also harassment on the other. Um, you know, this is this poisons uh, the future of, of America's leadership. And so this is a, a critical issue. And it's 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 why you began with my involvement in AEPI. It's why, um, you know, I did what I did then before my current appointment and why during my my time now I've really uh, prioritized um, campuses as one of the key places where we've got it. It's one of our key lines of effort is the is university campuses throughout the world and dealing with this problem. So I wanted to shift a bit to some of your international endeavors. You've been on the ground. I believe you just got back uh, uh, this this past week from another trip overseas to the Mideast. Can you talk a bit about the normalization of relations between Israel and some of her Arab neighbors? What does normalization mean? Why should why does it matter? And also, can you talk in particular about the normalization with Bahrain? Because in some ways, that normalization seemed to reflect what you've been discussing about the importance of recognizing that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And I think that was really one of many breakthrough moments. And I would love to hear your perspective on it. Well, you know, Joel, in my very first spe public speech <clears throat> as envoy two years ago, I said that we are going to focus on the Arab world. And I said, because the Arab world is more ready today than we have seen in generations, more ready to reevaluate how it thinks of Jews, how it thinks of Israel. There are just tremendous changes. Um, and that's very exciting. And so <clears throat> we have focused on the Arab world. Um, I'm proud to say that we negotiated and signed a memorandum of understanding with the Kingdom of Bahrain, the King Hamad Global Center for, for Peaceful Coexistence. And this is a groundbreaking agreement. The RMOU with Bahrain 
not only adopts the IRA definition, the first Arab entity to adopt the IRA definition, but the language is simply extraordinary. It says that we will work together, uh, Bahrain and, and, and the state, we will work together to combat all forms of anti-Semitism, including anti-Zionism and the delegitimization of the state of Israel. That's language in our MOU. There has never been anything like this with an Arab entity, <clears throat> and that's that's the kind of progress we're making. By the way, after that MOU and because of that MOU, um, we worked with the Global Imams Council, the largest NGO of Muslim faith leaders, and the Global Imams Council then adopted the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. And so just see changes that we're seeing in the Arab world and more broadly in the Muslim world. In the Muslim world outside of the Arab world, we just had two Muslim majority countries adopt the IRA definition, Kosovo by executive action and Albania through formal parliamentary action. So we're seeing just dramatic changes. Now, you know, I came back from, just came back from, uh, from the Gulf and it is just remarkable what's happening there. I mean, you know, I was at the, I was at the White House when the Abraham Accords were signed and a senior um, delegate of one of the Arab countries there, I don't I want to get into specifics, but um, ran up to me and said, and said, don't think this will be a cold peace. We are going to do great things together. And he was, he was exuberant. And when you see that kind of affection, this is, this is not a piece that's a piece of paper. This is a piece that's between people, real affection. And now in the Gulf, <laughs> excuse me, now in the Gulf, where literally just yesterday I returned, uh, or two days ago, I saw evidence of this everywhere. I mean, you know, Arab leaders were, were telling me this is, this is really a peace between people, not just between governments, between people. And there was such affection. Let me tell you a story. It's Hanukkah. Um, this is, today is the last day of Hanukkah. I attended, in my official capacity, uh, a Hanukkah lighting ceremony and concert in Dubai at the foot of the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building on earth, an icon, not only an icon of the UAE, but an iconic uh, symbol of the Arab world. And right at the foot of the Burj Khalifa, a concert in Hebrew, Joel in Hebrew, singing Hanukkah songs and singing Israeli songs right at the foot and you know nobody thought anything uh, amiss about it i mean there were you know all all the arabs walking walking around in dubai looked at this and <clears throat> and were just thrilled about it so really <clears throat> in fact an arab leader came and visited the concert came to the concert and uh, and i spoke with him afterward and that's what he said to me he said this is a peace between people and so what we're seeing thanks to the leadership of the united states and brokering the peace between Israel and the UAE, between Israel and Bahrain, between Israel and Morocco, Sudan, uh, you know, the list goes on. I mean, it's incredible. <clears throat> what we're seeing is a total reevaluation of how Arabs are, are viewing uh, Jews in their country, how Arabs are viewing Jewish history in the Arab world, and how Arabs are viewing the Jewish state. And so this is the most exciting time we have seen in the Middle East in a very long time. And, and we need to celebrate this and, and make sure that we continue on this path of, uh, of, of bridging real, real brotherhood between the cousins, uh, the Jews and the Arabs, and between the religions, the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism and Islam, and of course, Christianity. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing to see this over the past few years and reaching a crescendo this past year. Um, I know as I was a child uh, growing up, we hear um, I, I hear so many, um, so many that had such a pessimistic uh, view towards what would ultimately happen across that region, as if uh, uh, a, a global war were the only outcome. And then to see what is happening now, very visibly, to see these these pictures, I can only imagine what it must be to be part of it, be on the ground. But just to see these pictures during this joyous season of Hanukkah of Arabs and Jews together celebrating and making um, real peace, uh, it just is incredibly uh, heartwarming. And I really appreciate you being able to share um, a first-person perspective uh, from that. Well, um, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's heartwarming and more than that. It is deeply, deeply moving. I have to tell you that when, you're, <clears throat> when you see things like this, when you're there, even when you see the videos, I shared a video that I took of that concert and people responded in Twitter that, that it brought tears to their eyes. And I can tell you, being there 
being at the Abraham Accord signing and speaking to, to Arab leaders and seeing how happy they were, and then being at that concert, it's, it's deeply emotional. You, you, really, you really get choked up because you can't believe what you're seeing and how dramatic this is and how deeply hopeful it is for the, for the future of all our children. And, um, and it goes to show you, Joel, it goes to show you how much American leadership matters. I mean, just a few years ago, we had a Secretary of State who said there will never be peace between Israel and the Arab world unless we, we deal with the Palestinians first. There will never, he said, no, 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 and this video is going around. John Kerry said this. And, you know, look, it's hard to predict the future. I don't, I don't want to dump on John Kerry, uh, you know, too much, but, you know, it's, you can't always predict the future. But, but how mistaken was that? And it goes to show you that when, when you've got a president and a secretary of state like this and a peace team like President Trump's peace team, Jared and, and Avi and, and, and David Friedman, I mean, incredible, and Brian Hook, um, that, that are, are skilled negotiators, it is just, it's breathtaking what you can achieve. And so I guess the moral of the story is, again, not to jump on, dump on John Kerry, but the moral of the story is, don't say no. Don't talk about what can't be done. Leadership, real leadership, talks about what can be done. And, and that's what, that's really the message here. And so, you know, I, I really hope that we, uh, you know, we see very soon uh, other North African countries. We started with Morocco. We see other North African countries uh, come on board and, and Saudi Arabia is moving in the right direction. I think Oman is moving in the right direction. So, I mean, it's, it's just incredibly exciting times. By the way, I was in Qatar as well uh, just now. I, I got back from Qatar and we had very productive talks about, um, about uh, you know, uh, uh, how Qatar should view its Jews and, and fighting anti-Semitism and, and textbooks and educational curricula. And so uh, we're having these conversations uh, everywhere, um, you know, and so we're, we're, uh, we're very excited about the future. Um, I had a um, I had a few more questions I wanted to ask you, but there's a there's one that came up uh, online that uh, I thought was was really insightful. I want to get your perspective. Um, you you talked about uh, your family's experience uh, in Iraq, the hundreds of years that your family was there, and also the 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 uh, the established Jewish tradition there. I mean, our our Talmud comes from uh, uh, there's the Babylonian Talmud. Was a, there's a storied tradition within that region within Iran of of, as you said, uh, Jews and their their neighbors um, living together, prospering together. Um, what was it that shifted um, that uh, that shifted those relations from one uh, of peace, um, in, in some instances, even the Muslims and Jews studying side by side, to that dark era that we seem to be emerging from now? What what, what happened? Well, that is a terrific question. <clears throat> I will say two things. First of all. Um, <clears throat> Just like it's important that we not be um, too uh, jaundiced and and uh, too pessimistic in reviewing um, Arab and Muslim history, we also can't be too <clears throat> Pollyannish. <clears throat> there were periods of anti-Semitism throughout Arab and Muslim history. There were periods of discrimination, <clears throat> even of massacres. Um, but on the whole, I mean, certainly at a time when Jews were 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 discriminated against and persecuted horrifically in medieval Europe, um, Jews were thriving um, under the protection of the Muslim empire. So that's, that's certainly true, although there were period of, of anti-Semitism then too and throughout, throughout that history. So that's number one. So th it was there. Number two, the real change more recently was the importation, I would argue, the importation of anti-Semitic doctrines and messages from from Europe. I mean, anti-Semitism, the, the traditional kind of anti-Semitism really was was what started as as religious anti-Semitism in Europe and then became ethnic national anti-Semitism, um, you know, with the rise of nation states. And and that the importation of those concepts into the Middle East, at the same time you had a rise in Arab nationalism. I think is what really changed how Jews are viewed. It's very important to say it's not the founding of the state of Israel. <clears throat> Some of those who are anti-Israel will say, well, if there weren't an Israel, you wouldn't have this. This is nonsensical and, and factually false. I mean, the, the Damascus blood libel was way before the founding of the state of Israel. 
Um, the Farhud in Iraq, um, <clears throat> talk about the importation of, of European anti-Semitism. The Farhud in Iraq in 1941 um, was a Nazi coup fomented by the Palestinian Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. When the British kicked him out of mandatory Palestine, he shuttled between Berlin and, and Baghdad. He had meetings with Hitler and Himmler. I mean, these are public, you know, these pictures are, are notorious. And he fomented a pro-Nazi coup in Iraq that led to a massacre of Jews in 1941, way before Israel was established. I mean, they, they, they smashed, it was like a Kristallnacht smashing Jewish shops. They, they murdered Jews on the streets of, of, of Baghdad. Uh, and so it's not the founding of the state of Israel. It's, it's the importation of, of, of foreign anti-Semitic concepts into the Arab and Muslim world. And along lines, you know, together, with um, with the rise in Arab nationalism, which began in the early 1900s, and, I, and that's really uh, was a, a potent combination. But now we're 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 rolling that back now, and and we're seeing that Arabs <clears throat> are hungry to rediscover and re-engage with their history of of philo-Semitism, and that's really an incredible story because because one you know Arab nationalism would would certainly talk about Arab history uh, as being as being incredibly tolerant and accepting toward Jews and Christians in, in certain periods of their history. And so we're, we're seeing that re-engagement and rediscovery today. I spoke at the UN, by the way, about this very issue. There was a program to talk about Jews from the Arab world. And so it's really, again, very, very exciting what we're seeing. And we have more work to do, certainly. But, uh, but it's, this is really a, a moment of, of historic change that will, that will truly make a better world for our kids. Thank, thank you, Alan. We have so many uh, great questions from, from the viewers. I'm trying to get just a few of them. Um, you, you mentioned um, BDS um, earlier, boycott benefit sanctions, and there are some that are advocating for just for boycotting those businesses that are located in Judea and Samaria, which is commonly known as the West Bank. Um, can you uh, give me your perspective on that? Um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on those who would advocate just for boycotting those businesses in the West Bank? Well, we don't, first of all, tactically, boycotts, isolation, delegitimization, that's not the way you get peace. That's not the way you solve any conflict in the world. Um, and so those who want to boycott Israel, um, you know, in effect are, are, are isolating Israel. And that's, that's not coexistence. That's not peace. That's not how you get to a better world. <clears throat> that's the tactical side. Now let's talk about anti-Semitism. Why is it that, that we say very clearly now, BDS is a manifestation of anti-Semitism. And we define BDS, by the way, as, as boycotts not only of Israel, but of territories that, that Israel controls. <clears throat> because typically, these boycotters of Israel don't boycott anybody else. I mean, you know, there are, there are horrendous human rights abusers in the world. Israel is not one of them. Israel is not a human rights abuser. <clears throat> China is a human rights abuser. These people who boycott Israel, are they boycotting China? I don't see them boycotting China. These people who boycott Israel, are they boycotting Iran? That, you know, lynches its gays, that doesn't allow for women's rights, that is committing mass murder of Arabs. You claim, these people claim to care so much about Arabs. Well, Iran, through its proxies, has killed, murdered half a million Arabs in Syria. Are they boycotting Iran? In fact, not only that, some of these people who who are so keen on boycotting Israel are, are advocating against what the Trump administration is doing in Iran. And so, you know, this is just rank hypocrisy. <clears throat> now, is it possible to, to criticize Israeli, you know, Israel's policies in, in Judea and Samaria? Of course. Can one take the position? Sure. Can one take the position that Israel doesn't have a legitimate right in Judea and Samaria? I think that's flatly wrong, <clears throat> very clearly incorrect, but can one take those positions and, and have a reasonable discussion entirely devoid of anti-Semitism on those issues? Of course, but when you start to say, don't buy from Jews, right? Buy from Arabs next door, but don't buy from Jews, while at the same time, not boycotting anyone else, not concerned with territorial disputes anywhere else in the world, there are all kinds of territorial disputes uh, going on in the world. But when you target Israel and you focus on the one Jewish state, there's only one of those, the one Jewish state, target Israel for unique opprobrium and sanctions and boycotts, 
well, that's anti-Semitism, pure and simple. And and we're we're calling it out as such. Yeah, we really appreciate uh, that leadership. And I think sadly, so many of those that promote uh, that type of hate, economic uh, in nature, many of them have no idea uh, about the fact that it's not just Israelis um, that are damaged, but that is Palestinians as well. There are so many businesses that are benefiting both Israelis and Palestinians working together in peace and thriving. And that really is a threat um, to that prosperity. And that prosperity can actually yield a lasting peace. And this really has the potential to set it back. Of course. That's why the peace vision unveiled by President Trump and the peace team um, is called Peace to Prosperity. It's a vision for <clears throat> not only peace, <clears throat> but real prosperity. And the reason why the first step in that was a big Palestinian donor conference that, that Bahrain, uh, again, what, what a great country Bahrain is in, in building a, a better, better region and a better world, Bahrain generously hosted in Manama, um, is because it is about economic prosperity as well. It's about helping Palestinians build better lives. That's what we're trying to do. And boycotts, I mean, how does that help? Don't buy, don't buy from businesses in, in those areas, many of, many of which hire Palestinians. I mean, this is senseless stuff. And, and what we really can see when we drill down is that all this talk about Palestinian rights, uh, this is window dressing. The, these people, these haters, they don't care about Palestinian rights. They don't care about making a better life for Palestinians. What this is about is targeting the state of Israel as a Jewish collectivity, uniquely uh, focusing unique opprobrium and hostility toward the one Jewish state in the world. And there's a word for that, Joel. <laughs> it's called anti-Semitism. That's what that is. It's very simple. And so that's why we, you know, we are from day one, this administration has said, you know, we will tear down this false distinction between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. And every time I hear, sometimes I hear in Europe, well, anti-Zionism can bleed into anti-Semitism. I always say, no, 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 it doesn't bleed into anti-Semitism. It is anti-Semitism. It's very simple. When you say the Jewish people, unique among peoples in the world, aren't a people or don't have the right to national self-determination, don't have a right to statehood in the ancient homeland of the Jewish people, that's anti-Semitism. Yeah. You, you uh, so, so it's so refreshing to hear um, someone able to speak in such clear terms of uh, of objective right and wrong. And I have time for just one more uh, question. Uh, what would be a word of advice that you would give to your successor in the next administration? Oh, that's great. That's a great question. <clears throat> I think that, well, obviously, the the priorities that we've established i think are are bipartisan i mean i i you know we fight for the safety of jewish communities around the world we we fight for um uh, appropriate prosecution of hate crimes um dealing with hate on the on the internet and social media we've we've done groundbreaking work in that um so i i think this is really you know these are these should be bipartisan aims so what I would say to my successor is this. First of all, um, don't ignore any part of the ideological spectrum. If we focus on one flavor of anti-Semitism and minimize others, we do a disservice to the, to the fight. It's, there are three sources, far right, radical left, militant Islam. We've got we've to stay on all three. We've got to call out all three. Because as I say it, as I've said it to many audiences, of different political perspectives, right? Some le some left-leaning, some right-leaning. I say, say to every audience, we can all agree, Jew hatred is evil. And it shouldn't matter what ideological clothing it wears. So that's piece of advice number one. That's the, that's the more substantive ideological advice I'd give to my successor. But now let me give tactical advice to my successor. Um, you've got to be bold sometimes. You know, there there is enormous inertia against doing things that are creative and impactful. Um, there's inertia internationally. Other countries, you know, there are complicated relationships and other countries will, will you know, will say, well, let's not, let's not go that far. Let's not, let's just, and then there are also internal inertia. I mean, State Department's a big place. There's a bureaucracy, um, you know, and, and very often you try to do something creative and you, you've got it, it, it's, it takes a lot of work to, to get to get it done. 
And, and then also think of it this way, this job, special envoy, we fight a unique evil. Anti-Semitism is, is truly evil. It is, it is a hatred that has a history that is unique in its, in its pervasiveness, in its perniciousness, in its destructive power, destroying not only Jews, but laying, laying wreckage to societies and to continents. And so this is a unique evil. When you fight evil, you've got to call it out as such. Sometimes that means not being diplomatic. You know, you can't be nuanced. You, you just said, you know, you just said right and wrong to speak clearly about right and wrong. You've got to do that. You've got to speak clearly. This is a fight against an evil and we are right to fight it. And so I would say to my successor that, that there's a time for nuanced diplomacy, but there's a time for standing up and being being morally clear and unequivocal and calling out this evil for what it is. It is evil and we've got to combat it and we've got to fight it. And if we do that, if we're morally clear on what this is, and if we lead as the United States can, I have no doubt that we can, we can roll back um, this, uh, this awful hatred, this Jew hatred, and, uh, and build that, that better future, Joel, that, that more just, more peaceful future that our children and grandchildren so richly deserve. Um, thank you, Alon. And uh, on behalf of Heritage, before I turn this over to my colleague, uh, Emily Gao, uh, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, just seeing the leadership uh, that you and the administration, um, your, your colleague, Ali Kalanim, and Secretary Pompeo have made in clearly laying out, articulating why anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic, talking about the, the rights of the Jewish people to, to have their own homeland, just like we support the rights of, of so many other um, peoples to do so as well. It, it has just been absolutely refreshing. And then to top that off and to see after um, decades, centuries of strife in that region, to see recognition of Israel as a Jewish state by so many of the Arab neighbors this past year, uh, I, it just, it makes me, uh, it makes me smile. And then to see the videos that you and others have shared um, it goes beyond just the intellectual. You just really um, uh, get a sense of uh, of warmth from that uh, from people recognizing uh, that that we are related in that region of the world, quite literally uh, related. So thank you so much. I look forward to seeing what uh, the next steps are in your life. And with that, I turn it over to uh, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Joel. It's really a pleasure to be with you. And thanks to the Heritage Foundation for everything you do. Well, let me add my thanks to Special Envoy Carr for leading us in this wonderful and inspiring discussion on such an important issue. For invitations to future heritage events, please sign up on our website that you see on the screen. And please contact either Joel or me if you have questions about today's discussion. You'll also receive a survey shortly after the event. And if you fill out that survey, it will help us to figure out which events to bring to the public square in the future. Thank you all again for attending today's event, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.